You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I'm going to try to preach this morning without passing out. Amen. Amen. I was preaching on Friday night. And, 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 you know, of course, I'd been sick and I thought, man, maybe it's just energy and I had to drink a lot and, uh, and then drink a lot. Then my lips were sticking together and I thought, what is going on? And then I got real shaky and I thought, I'm going to pass out. And my, you know, y'all remember when Pastor Spencer, sometimes his sugar would drop out uh, when he was preaching a lot of times. And uh, that's what happened. And I think we need to get orange juice under the pulpit. Amen. For preachers like us where the sugar drops out. Amen. But uh, after the service, I went to the back and, and my wife brought me some orange juice and Within two minutes, I was feeling great. Amen. And uh, so, but I uh, thank y'all for putting up with me on Friday night. And uh, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read several verses here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 and then 33 and 34. I wanted to read all 34 verses, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. But I love when I preach a message to get the context of what we're looking at. All right. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, the Bible said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, and which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Real quickly, let me say, if you know, because sometimes we read that passage and people say, I wonder, did I believe in vain? The context of this chapter is the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. And if you believed, and he's going to talk to Christians here, he's going to talk to Corinthians who are professing that they believe the gospel, but some are being influenced to deny the resurrection. And if you can deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, then you have believed in vain. Your, your Christianity is not real, okay? And that's all he means when he says that. He said, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received... How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And after that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. In other words, they've died. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And he's speaking of his experience on the Damascus road when he met Jesus Christ. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. I would say what these missionaries are doing is vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. 
And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep, those which have died in Christ, they're perished. In other words, he's saying they're in hell. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. But now, notice that word, now, that's a present tense word. We'll come to that later. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Now let's move to verse 33. And I'd love to take the time to read the whole chapter, honestly, but we, we really uh, do want to just get the context here. In verse 33, he comes all the way to verse 32, and again, he's constantly talking about the resurrection and the implications if there is no resurrection and proving the fact that the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ is so. Then we come to verse 33 and 34, and he slips two verses in that at a casual reading, you say, what are these verses doing in 1 Corinthians 15? Because honestly, in verse 5, he goes right back to the resurrection. And all the way as he closes the chapter, he talks about the resurrection as it pertains to the rapture. But in verse 33 and 34, right in the middle of all of this dissertation on the doctrine of the resurrection, he said, be not deceived. It's a warning. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This is a church that the Apostle Paul started. This is a church that as he, in his church planning ministries, would plant a church here and then move there and then move there and men would rise to the top and take the leadership of the church and Paul never abandoned them. He would write back these epistles and letters and he's writing to this church saying, there's a problem at the Corinthian church. How say some among you in the church there's no resurrection of the dead? And then he comes down to these verses and he warns the church, be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt good manners. And then he charges the church, awake to righteousness and sin not for some. We're talking about a missions revival right now. We're talking about the souls of sinners. For some have not the knowledge of God. And then he just directs it right to the church. He says, I speak this to your shame. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and we'll look at this passage as quickly as we can. Heavenly Father, please now I pray that you'd bless in the preaching of the word of God. Lord, give me energy, give me strength. Lord, you know my body needs that as I preach. But Lord, more than that, I pray that the spirit of God, Lord, would work in every heart that's here, regardless of age, regardless of state of mind, regardless of health. Lord God, work in every heart. Let us have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we study the Word of God, we, we use something called, and I'm going to use a big word here, we use something called the principles of hermeneutics. And you say, I have never heard hermeneutics. Who is he? Well, he's not a person, okay? Uh, it's it's uh, the hermeneutics we use to help us rightly divide the word of truth. Hermeneutics we would call the science of interpretation. So when we teach folks in a Bible institute how to study the word of God, we teach hermeneutics, biblical hermeneutics, the art of biblical interpretation. Uh, there are principles that govern 
so that we rightly divide the word of truth. And one of those principles that we have is called the law of first mentions. I love these principles. Amen. I love teaching these principles. Uh, it's also called the first mention principle. And we learn uh, with that, that the first time a word or subject is written about, God's attitude towards that word or that subject is revealed. And it, it's, it's part of God's attitude that never changes towards that subject. Uh, for example, uh, uh, when we're introduced to Satan, who appears in the form of a serpent in Genesis, the very first thing that he says and the very first thing that God records that Satan says is, yea, if God said. And we find immediately when we're introduced to Satan, first mentioned principle, that he always puts question marks where God puts periods. He always puts a question mark on the word of God. Uh, His next statement is going to be, yea, God, I mean, hey, God, hey, ye shall not surely die. And so we learn about Satan right up front. He's a liar in the very first mentioned principle, all right? And he's always a liar. Every time he opens his mouth, he's like some politicians, amen. The only time they lie is when they open their mouth, amen. All right, and you know that's the truth, all right? Now, um, we have another principle called the law of further mentions or the progressive mention principle. And I'm trying to teach a little bit before I get into the message. This principle teaches us that God progressively reveals his thoughts and attitude on any given subject as it is progressively mentioned throughout the word of God. An example of this principle could be revealed in God's promise of a coming redeemer through the pages of scripture. In Genesis, way in the beginning, we're taught that redemption will come through the seed of the woman. You go to Exodus and we find that redemption is going to come through the blood of the lamb. Well, if you're living in Exodus and you're trying to figure that out, how's the seed of the woman and the blood of the lamb, how's that come together for redemption? And as you follow, you come into Leviticus and we learn that redemption is going to come through a sacrificial system, through a sacrifice that involves a high priest. And, and man, you're trying to figure out how is God's redemption plan? You come to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You come to Isaiah chapter 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And, and, and we began to progressively learn uh, more about this, this seed of the woman, this blood of the lamb, but he's going to come in the form of a person. And then John the Baptist sees him coming across the Judean hillside and he says, behold, the lamb of God. And God puts the lamb and the man together in the person of Jesus Christ. And you come to Galatians 2 and you're still having truth revealed or Galatians 4, where he says in the fullness of time, God sending forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem and you see how the progressive mention principle as we go through scripture we progressively learn about that subject as we come to first corinthians in chapter number 15 we have an example of what's called the law of final mentions or it could be called the final or the full mention principle and in that principle we learn that there is a text there is a time there is a place in the bible many times where God reveals his full attitude on a doctrine or a subject. 1 Corinthians 13, we would look and call that the charity chapter. That's God's full mention on love and on charity and many examples we could give. But as we come into 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15, we learn God's full mention. We get God's full attitude. Everything that Eastside Baptist Church needs to know about the resurrection of Christ is taught in 1 Corinthians 15. Everything that Eastside Baptist Church needs to know about the doctrine of the resurrection as a whole, not just the resurrection of Christ, but every other, whether it's a positional part of our doctrine, a theological point of doctrine, or a practical point of that doctrine, it's taught 
in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15. Now, I think when you and I think of the resurrection, we automatically think of a fundamental of the faith, a pillar of Christianity, a truth that must be intellectually assented to if, if, if we're to be saved by the grace of God. I mean, no one could deny, you cannot deny the resurrection of Christ and be saved by God's grace. If you're here this morning, I don't think there's anybody here like that. But if you're here this morning and you say, I have a hard time believing that a man really rose from the grave. I have a hard, that, that's a good story that we celebrate at Easter, but I have a hard time believing that. You, my friend, are not saved. You have to believe the doctrine of the resurrection. It's a part of the gospel. You have to believe the gospel in order to be saved. And 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 gave us the gospel. Most of us in this room, I, I, I would venture to say, cannot remember when we learned this vital doctrine. We've just always believed. It's the truth. Most of us have just always believed there was a man named Jesus Christ who lived, who suffered, who shed his blood, and who died on an old rugged cross. And then he was buried... And three days later, praise God, he rose from the grave. Amen. We believe that. That's the resurrection. When our churches came together for tent meeting the last week of July, downtown Sioux Falls, I don't know how many of you remember there on that Friday night. I guess some of you weren't there on Friday night. Amen. Things were happening on Thursday and Friday night. Amen. But we had, we had, we had several folks come forward that wanted to learn about salvation. And in particular, we had a 14-year-old Liberian boy that came forward to be saved. And I began just asking him basic questions. I wanted to see what his understanding of the Word of God was. And I asked him in passing if he believed in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he immediately said, yes. But then I stopped and I said, let me ask you a question, son. Do you really, really believe that a man named Jesus really lived and he lived a perfect life, never sinned one time? And do you really believe that he went to a cross? And do you really believe that he died? Really, honestly, you're a 14-year-old boy. You're telling me that you believe that a man was laying in a grave and he got up out of that grave on his own power. Nobody called him out of the grave. There was no doctor there that raised him. Out of his own power, he summoned the power in himself to raise himself from the dead. And he looked at me, and here's what he said. He said, no way, man. I no, that's just a story. I really don't believe that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it just a story to you? Do you really believe this morning that a dead man walked out of the grave empowered by himself? I mean, you educated folks here at Eastside Baptist Church. Do you really believe that a dead man got up out of a grave of his own power. Do you believe that? Now again, I imagine the preacher said, amen. I imagine most of the folks sitting here this morning would say, yes, sir, Pastor Robin, I believe in the resurrection of Christ. I mean, how could anyone, how could anyone, I mean, in our circles, how could anyone deny the resurrection of Christ? And I'm with you. I agree with you. Seriously. How could anyone deny the resurrection of Christ? But this chapter of 1 Corinthians is being written to a church who had folks that had slipped into the church who were fostering doubt when it came to the doctrine of the resurrection. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12, Paul said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, now let me just stop real quick. Some of you are saying, well, I thought this was a missions message. It is. Hang with me through the introduction and the message itself will be very short, all right? Literally, there were folks in the membership of this New Testament church who were denying the doctrine of the resurrection. 
And you and I, we would say, that's terrible. What's the, what's the point of going to church? What's the point of claiming Christ as my Savior if, if he really didn't resurrect from the dead? I mean, why am I going to trust a dead man to get me to heaven, right? And then what's the point of What's the point of going to church? What's the point of Christianity? What's the point of missions? All of what we're doing. I mean, if there's no hope for us when we die, I mean, there's no resurrection. I mean, what's the point of all of this? And, and really, most of the text verses that we read this morning, that's what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to say, what's the point? Man, if, they, if the doctrine of the resurrection is not true, we're of all men most miserable. Man, we might as well eat, drink, and be married. We might as well party hardy and die because, man, when it's over, it's over, Rover. It's done. You're going to the ground, amen. So you might as well live it up and enjoy life. Slide into the grave because when you're done, it's all over if there's no resurrection. What's the point? That's what Paul's saying. And that is the point. The doctrine of the resurrection gives us hope of a future life in heaven where we will see our Savior and our family and our friends who have gone on before. I mean, we sing. I mean, you you can hear the acoustics in here, right? I mean, if we were all to start singing, what a day that will be when my Jesus. I mean, we're singing about the resurrection. Amen. And I say glory to God. There is a resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. You believe in the resurrection. That's why we're here on Sunday morning. We're celebrating the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. That's why we've gathered. You believe it and I believe it. But I want to tell you, the doctrine of the resurrection gives me purpose in life. I want to see my family. I want to see my friends. I want to see my enemies. I want to see them all get saved by the grace of God. I'm spending my life and many of you are spending your life teaching people the gospel of Christ so that you can give them hope that if you believe in Christ, though you were dead, yet shall you live one day. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. I believe that. I know you believe that. But the doctrine of the resurrection, listen, I'm making a very important point here. The doctrine of the resurrection, it's more than just a fundamental of our faith. The doctrine of the resurrection is more than just the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection is more than just hope for an afterlife for you and I. The doctrine of the resurrection, it it, it literally gives us purpose in life. So much more and so much so that we come to verse 33 and verse 34 and in the midst of talking about the doctrinal side and and the theological side of the doctrine of the resurrection and why it's true, all of a sudden Paul, he slips into the practical side of the resurrection. He says, be not deceived, evil communications Corrupt good manners, awake to righteousness, and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And I'm just telling, if you're like me, I'm reading these verses, and I'm like, what are you talking about, Paul? You're giving the greatest thesis on this cardinal doctrine of the faith, the resurrection of Christ, and suddenly you're telling us to awake to righteousness and sin not. Uh, How do they fit in this passage? And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. Because the doctrine of the resurrection is not just a story from the past or a hope for the future. The doctrine of the resurrection is supposed to be a present reality in the life of every professing Christian. Doctrine determines duty. Belief determines behavior. 
And Paul is warning the Corinthian church here, if you continue to allow people among your membership who deny the doctrine of the resurrection, their doctrine is going to negatively affect the testimony of their church. Hence the warning, evil communications corrupt good manners. I mean, if there is no resurrection, then people are going to start thinking there is no resurrection. So why do we live the way we do? And why do we read our Bibles and pray? And why do we go to church? And why do we give our hard-earned money to the tithes? And why do we give money to missions? And why do we try to live, as our sister talked about yesterday when she was talking uh, there at the, uh, the, uh, uh, the meal, Miss Blessy, uh, she talked about living a holy life and living a pure life. I mean, if there's no resurrection, what's the point? Evil communications corrupt good manners. What we believe uh, sooner or later it filters down and that affects how we behave. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, it, it's it directly going to affect how you conduct yourself in the world. Now, this is going to sound like I'm switching subjects completely, but I'm not. I want to make an illustration. I want to ask you an all-important question this morning. And, and again, we're going to come right back to the resurrection. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? You say, what's that got to do with anything? You understand the point of the question. Did God create the chicken which laid the egg? Or did God create an egg which hatched the chicken? And you say, well, that's a humorous question. But I want to ask the question to you this morning. Which is more important, my belief or my behavior? Which comes first, my belief or my behavior? And I know what you're going to say. And I know what I would say. Our belief comes first. And it does. But we're going to learn in this text that while our belief determines our behavior... Our behavior determines whether others hear the gospel and get saved. Our behavior determines whether they believe or not. Our belief does determine our behavior. You can't get saved. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What's he talking about? Resurrection. All things are passed away. They died. All things are become new. That's your life when you got saved by the grace of God. Now, I said a little bit ago, I hardly doubt that anybody here would stand up and say, I deny the doctrine of the resurrection. But if you're not living the resurrected life as you are to be living, the, listen, the Bible said we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Then in reality, in practicality, in behavior, you are denying the resurrection of Christ. And that's the problem that the Corinthian church had right here. And Paul is Ripping them. He's saying, guys, you, you may see, you know, there, there may be some that deny the resurrection, and others say we're fighting for the resurrection, but overall, none of you are living the resurrected life. Man, you're a carnal church. You're a fighting church. Man, you, you're not living the resurrected life, and I'm speaking this to your shame. There are people in your own city that have not the knowledge of God yet, and it's because they don't see the reality of the resurrected life in the life of the Christian that says, I'm saved, I've died to sin, I've been buried, and I've been raised to walk in newness of life so I want to ask you this morning do you believe in the resurrection do your neighbors watching you could they believe in the resurrection of Christ the people that you work with could they believe in the resurrected Christ through the life that you're living do they see resurrected new Christian life do they see new life do they see a way that you're talking that's different than the way they talk do they see the way you're walking and living is the different than the way that that they walk and live the way that you dress the way that you conduct yourself the attitude you have the philosophy you carry that it represents heaven that it represents Christ or do you just sound like one of the other guys on the job one of the other ladies uh, they're on the job you just kind of just fit in right with them and just conform to them and they never ever know about a resurrected Christ because they never see a resurrected Christ in your life and in my life my belief or my behavior 
Does what I believe determine how I behave or does how I behave reveal what I believe? I listen closely. Paul admonishes the church. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. These people, some of these people said they believed in the resurrection. But again, we already mentioned there were those in the church who had influenced some that the resurrection of Christ was a fairy tale. And in so doing, they had corrupted the behavior of the church. And now Paul is coming back to the church. And he's saying, guys, listen, awake to righteousness. That word awake there carries the idea of someone who's drunk. Getting sobered up, like, wake up. Have you ever saw somebody that's drunk? And you're trying to talk to them, and it's like, and then you try to give them coffee, amen, and doing everything. Wake up, hey, wake up. Listen to what I'm saying. I've, I've had to do that with a lot of people over the years, amen, and especially the ministry we're in now downtown. A lot of times, amen, we're trying to get people woke up. I have people knock on our church doors every day, and they're out of their head drunk or on drugs, and I'm just trying to get them sobered up and like, wake up. That's what Paul's saying to the church. Wake up. Man, the world around you, they've got to see new life in you. They've got to see holiness. They've got to see purity. They've got to see that resurrected Christian life in you. They've got to hear that in your talk. They've got to see that in your walk. Now, 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 uh, the church overall here at Corinth still claimed to believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, but they just weren't living the resurrected Christian life. When you and I got saved, uh, we identified in our hearts with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, here's what we would say. Every one of us would say something like this. If you know your Bible at all, you would say, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That's resurrection. You might say something like this. Man, when I got saved, Brother Keenan, when I got saved, I died to sin and self. Amen. I was buried with Christ, and I've been raised to walk in newness of life. That's resurrection. Amen. I mean, your life's different, amen. You've been changed, amen. And when we follow the Lord in the waters of baptism, which is totally awesome to get to baptize people after they get saved by the grace of God. Because what they're saying is, I want to identify. Hey, in my heart I identified, I was spiritually baptized in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But I want to publicly identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I'm getting baptized to let you know that I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen. No turning back. No turning back. The stinking world behind me and the cross before me. No turning back. I'm living that crucified life. I'm living that resurrected life. Amen. I've been raised to walk in newness of life. When the child of God and the church of God is not living a new life, is not living a resurrected life, is not living a life of holiness and purity, we are in practice denying the, the doctrine of the resurrection. We are. We are. The world cannot see any difference in our lives. They see no changes in our lives. And why in the world would they be interested in the Christ we proclaim? Hence, he says, some have not the knowledge of God. They're not interested in the Corinthian church. They're not interested because they've lost their testimony. The world can't see that difference. And this is what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 and 34. Now, here at Eastside this morning, we're having a missions revival. And a revival, and I love the word. Pastor sent us, a, a, the missionaries, a letter, and he said, we're not calling it a conference, we're calling it a revival. Because I believe that we need revived. Awake. Wake up time to be stirred to action in the matter of our missions giving and Lord willing in time in missions going out of this church. 
Man, I tell you, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Amen. For all that COVID a couple weeks ago, I'm feeling good right now. Amen. A revival gives the idea of being stirred to life, being revived from sleep. And so Paul thunders this to the New Testament church. He doesn't just say, well, we're just going to close our eyes and and just be lovey-dovey and forget that you guys aren't living for God. He says, awake to righteousness. And nobody, look, when my boy's accidentally sleeping in the morning or if I accidentally sleep in, my wife doesn't come in and say, Wake up, James. Wake up. It's like, after a while, we're in there with the boys or she's with me like, wake up. (laughs) Wake up. Get out of bed, man. There's work to be done. Get your rear end out of bed. Wake up. Can I say that to the church this morning? That's what Paul's saying. Wake up. Get, man, get out of the bed of slumber and sleep. It's time to wake up. Hey, there's no doubt that our belief determines our behavior. But I really believe in verse 34, Paul is driving home the fact that we need to wake up because our behavior will determine whether those that are around us believe or not. Some have not the knowledge of God. Was it not, brother, our brother from India, was it not Gandhi who told missionaries, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And I'm quoting from a Washington Times article, March 28th of 2011. When asked why he did not embrace Christianity, Gandhi said it offered nothing that he could not already get from his own religion. Wow! The Christians that Gandhi saw did not live out the practicality of the resurrected Christian life. Can I tell you, if you are living the way you lived it before you got saved and there has been no change in your life, something needs to occur in your heart. Amen. If you are what you were, you might not be anything. Amen. When Jesus came to the man that was lame and said, rise and take up that bed and walk, if the man had just laid there and never walked, We'd have said there was no power in Christ to heal the man. If you're still lame this morning, you're still the same this morning. If your life is never evidence to change, if you don't have the power and the victory to live the crucified and the resurrected Christian life, you might just need to get saved by the grace of God. Amen. And if you have lived the resurrected life and you have backslidden on God or you've just simply fallen asleep in the area of living holy and living that resurrected Christian life and fallen asleep with our burden to reach sinners around us in Sioux Falls with the gospel. Hey, listen, if you're really saved, from hell fire how could you not go on visitation Saturday mornings with the church and tell people hey come out the church I want to invite you and show you how you can be saved by the grace of God if you're saved by God's grace how could you not man put as much as you could on a faith promise missions card amen they say I want others to have the same opportunity that I had to hear the gospel of the grace of God man I'm telling you so we get down now that's all that's all introduction, all right? And I'm, 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 I'm at the message now. And I've got 11 minutes. Pastor said I didn't have to be done, but I'm going to be done at noon. I promise you that. We'll, we'll be going to an invitation right at noon. Here's my three points out of verse 34. No subpoints, just points to keep it moving. Paul says, awake to righteousness and sin not. If you're writing down notes, here's what I'd write. I'd write, it's time to awake to righteousness for the sake of of sanctification. Awake to righteousness and sin not. If Christians never sinned after they got saved, Paul wouldn't have had to write that to Christians. 
We all have the propensity to sin. We have the propensity to get cold in our faith, to get cold in our testimony, to get cold in our passion towards God, to get cold in our going, to get cold in our giving. We have that propensity. He says, awake to righteousness. Boy, I wish I had a voice like Ian Paisley. If you ever heard Ian Paisley out of Ireland? I heard him preach this one time, this verse. He says, awake. I said, man, everybody's awake after that. Amen. You got to be awake. He's saying, awake for the sake of sanctification. Church, can I tell you this morning, man, I'm feeling really good and I'm going to have to really watch that clock now. Okay. God saved us from sin. God didn't save us to sin. You say, well, I've been saved so I can live any way you want to. No, you can't. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, that's death and burial. We were baptized into his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, that's resurrection, by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. If you ain't walking in the newness of life, I'm telling you, you have no testimony. There is no sanctification. And you ain't never going to win anybody to Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, awake to, awake to righteousness for the sake of sanctification. You know, the New Testament says things like this. Wherefore, putting away lying. Why? Because you're saved. And I know that we're living in a generation of the new modern independent Baptist who... Stands up, and when you preach against sin at all, they say that's legalism. That, that's legalism. Uh, can I tell you that the Bible said that shall not kill. And I don't care why you keep that commandment. Make sure you keep that commandment when you're around my family. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, are you call me a legalist. Amen. Yeah, right. But keep the commandment. The Bible said that shall not commit adultery. We're saved by God's grace. Almost every New Testament church had problems with immorality, and it's dealt with in almost every New Testament epistle. Well, that's legalism. I mean, we've been saved, so we don't have to worry about those laws of the Ten Commandments. We don't keep the Ten Commandments to get saved, but I'm going to tell you something. Bless God, we keep them because we are saved. Amen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. And it's not grievous when you've been saved from sin to want to live a sanctified life, to be separate from the Lord. That's what sanctification is. It's being set apart from sin to the Savior. Amen. Can I say, if you're saved and you say, I intellectually believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, here's what I'm challenging you to do this morning. When you walk out of church, live the doctrine of the resurrection on your street. Live the doctrine of the resurrection on your job. Live the doctrine of the resurrection when holidays come. Hey, when the faith promise commitment cards come, live the doctrine. Hey, don't you give less to faith promise missions in the church than you did to some charity that the CEO gets all the money before you got saved. Amen. You give more to the missions prayer. We're living the resurrected life. Amen. I want to give more to God and more to missions than I ever have because I've been saved by the grace of God. Amen. I'm just simply saying awake to righteousness 
and sin not. Do it for the sake of sanctification. Let me tell you this. Okay, listen, I'm going to give myself five extra minutes right now because I'm preaching and I can do that. Okay. All right. So we're going to go to 1205. All right. But, but I just got to tell you this. I got to tell you this real quickly. Uh, ch- child of God, you're saved from sin and you're saved from this world. And God wants you to live a life that's separate from sin and conformity to this world. James thunders out to the New Testament Christians, those Hebrew Christians. He says, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I don't want to be God's enemy, brother Juan. I want to be God's friend, practically, amen. I know positionally I can't be, but practically. But let me tell you this. God saved you so he could sanctify you, amen. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 20 and 21. I love these verses. The Bible says here, but in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. And then notice what he says. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet. Brother Heath, that word meet, it means fit for the master's use. Do you know as a child of God and as a church of God, we can live our lives in such a way as to where we're not meet or fit for the master's use? He saved you to separate you so that you would be clean, so that you would be holy, so that you could do his work. Let me give you an illustration. I think you'll understand. Vargas's are taking my family out to eat this morning, and y'all are invited. Brother Vargas has got the bill. Amen. And uh, praise the Lord. We're going to have a good time. Amen. I don't have no idea where we're going, uh, as long as it's not Indian or Chinese. Amen. All right. And we're going <laughs> to, I'm picking on you, brother. We're going to have a good time. Amen. But listen, as hungry as I am, and I'm hungry, I'm preaching up an appetite right now. Amen. And, and my boys, they're hungry. I promise you, my boys, they are hungry, okay? But we get over to the restaurant. Let's just say we go to Pizza Ranch or Perkins, something like that, all right? We go over there. And boy, how many like Pizza Ranch? Say amen. 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 I like Pizza Ranch, all right? And I get that fried chicken, hallelujah. And I go over and get some, uh, some, some, some salad because I got to be healthy. And then maybe sneak a couple pieces of pizza and buffalo chicken ranch. And oh, it's going to be so good. And I get over there and I walk up and I get into the restaurant and I go grab a plate. And as I grab the plate and I'm getting ready to put my food on it, all of a sudden I feel something real gunky on the bottom side of the plate. And I turn it over, and there's yesterday's macaroni and cheese that didn't come off the plate. And then I start looking at the plate, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Look at all this grease on top of the plate, leftover ketchup. Do you think I want to eat my pizza, my chicken, off of that plate? Nope. I used to work at Golden Crow years ago when I was a teenager, four years. Hey, they run stuff through automatic dishwashers. Better check out them coffee cups before you let that waitress pour that coffee. Amen. There's all kind of gunk that gets in the bottom of that. Amen. I promise you. Amen. I don't want a dirty car. I'll tell you this. I'll just add one more to the story. We was driving up years ago. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's a true story. Driving up. I was coming out of Wheeling. I actually started North Carolina. Come to Wheeling, West Virginia. Picked up my father-in-law. We drove across. We was going up to the north central part of South Dakota. This is way back, 01 or 02. We come through Sioux City. We're trying to just drive straight through. It's late. Uh, it's like, man, we better stop at McDonald's because there's nothing else between here and home except for Sioux Falls. And by then, everything's going to be closed in Sioux Falls. We come through Sioux City, and there was one McDonald's still open. It's like 11 or 11.15. Thank God for McDonald's that's open at 11 o'clock at night. Amen. And I got my favorite, my favorite. And some of you don't like McDonald's. That's all right. Amen. But I love McDonald's. Amen. That's the truth. Loved it since I was a kid. And I love a Big Mac. So I got a Big Mac, supersized fry, supersized drink, and as large of a strawberry milkshake as I could get. And buddy, I was walking in high cotton. That just simply means I was really happy. Amen. I mean, I was happy. Man, we come up the road, I ate my Big Mac, ate my fries, drank my drink. 
talking to my father-in-law, trying to keep each other awake. And we're about 45 minutes up the road. We're not quite to Sioux Falls yet. And I realized that I had finished my strawberry milkshake, Brother Blake. And I realized I was chewing on something. And I thought in my mind while I was talking, I can't do two things at one time, you know. And I thought while I was talking, I thought, well, I must be, I must be chewing on a piece of ice in the milkshake, you know. But like 15 minutes later, I was still chewing on it. I'm like, oh. and all of a sudden it dawned on me while I'm talking to him, like, what am I chewing on? What am I, what, what am I chewing on? And I spit it out. It was the biggest fingernail you've ever saw in your life. I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not making this up. This ain't a preacher story. This happened to me. And I gagged. I'm like, man, I've been chewing on someone's fingernail. Where was that fingernail? Who did that fingernail belong? Don't matter. I've been chewing on it for the last 15 minutes. You say, that's sick, Pastor. That's gross. I know it is. I'm a sinner. And I don't like unclean things in my service. God is holy. He saved you from sin so that he could sanctify you so that you could be clean. Because just like you don't like a dirty dish in your service, God doesn't like a dirty vessel in his service. And it's not that God doesn't want to use you. It's that you're not going to use that if you know there's a fingernail in the milkshake. And God's not going to use you if he knows there's known sin in your life that you won't deal with. Amen. Let that sin be crucified with Christ. Man, get out of that sin. Some of you got addictions and you got besetting weights and sins this morning. Man, get on an order and give them to God once and for all. Amen. Get them buried with Christ and get off that order and say, I'm raised to walk in newness of life and go be a testimony. Hey, I, I told you, awake to righteousness for the sake of sanctification. Awake to righteousness for the sake of souls. Some have not the knowledge of God. I mean, how, do, how much do we really believe in the resurrection if we're not living out the resurrection? How much do we really believe in the resurrection if my neighbors have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel from my lips, amen? If they've never seen a difference in my walk as I talk out back, my neighbors should never hear me cuss. They should never see me smoking, amen. They should never see me chewing and dipping and drinking and getting angry and screaming at my wife and using all kinds of... They should never see that. We're saved by the grace of God. God. Man, he said, awake to righteousness. Some have not the knowledge of God. Man, church, can I tell you this morning? It's revival. <laughs> awake to righteousness. Man, it's not just world missions that we're talking about, but we are talking about world missions, but we're talking about the city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We're talking about Brandon, Harrisburg, T, Hartford. Man, let's be awake, church. Let's uh, The real kind of awake, amen. Let's be an old fire church, man. We have died to sin, we have died to self, and we're saying yes to Jesus, and we're living that resurrected life for the glory of God. Paul tells the Corinthian church earlier, later on, he'll say, ye are our epistle seen and read of all men. Do you understand you've got folks in your neighborhood that'll never pick up a Bible and read it and they'll never show up to church on their own, but they're watching your life and they're reading your life just like an open book. Do they see Christ or do they see that old man? You say, well, Pastor Elman, I just see the old man. I just, I just am not what I used to be, but I'm not what I ought to be. Get on an altar. And say, Lord God, by the grace of God, you've affected this much change. Keep affecting change in my life. I want to be an awake Christian, an alive Christian. We sang about it yesterday. Never heard the song before. An alert Christian. Amen. I want to be that. Awake to righteousness for the sake of souls. 
you remember the story of Lot? I've got three minutes, all right? I'm watching my time, guys. Three minutes. Remember the story of Lot? Remember, remember Lot is righteous, he's saved, but he's backslidden as backslidden can be. And the angel comes down to Sodom, and he literally has to put his hands on Lot and pull Lot out of the city and his family. And Lot, when he was warned that judgment really is coming, the Bible said when Lot tried to get his own family to get saved from judgment to go with them, the Bible said he seemed as one that mocked. Nobody took him seriously. Why? Because his behavior directly determined whether they would believe what he was saying. My belief determines my behavior, but my behavior directly affects whether my neighbors, my coworkers, my family, my friends, the mission field will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let them see Christ in you. Number three, I'm done. Awake to righteousness for the sake of the judgment seat. Notice what he ends there with in verse 34. He said, I speak this to your shame. In my last two minutes, I want to ask you, do you understand, church, there is a judgment seat of Christ that every one of us are going to stand before? We're not being judged for our sin. Praise God, brother, brother Keith, amen. Man, if I thought I was going to be judged in my sins, man, I'd be shaking in my boots. But Jesus was judged for all my sins. He was wounded for my transgressions, amen. But I am going to be judged, and you're going to be judged for your stewardship. What did I do with the resources that God gave me? What did I do with the money that God gave me? What did I do with the time that God gave me? What did I do with the mental ability that God gave me? What did I do with the physical strength, young men, that God's given you? What have you done with it? It's an award ceremony. I don't fear the judgment seat of Christ. Paul didn't. Why should I? Amen. I, I don't think we need to fear it. It's an award ceremony. But 1 John 2.28 uses these words. He said, now little children, abide in him that when he shall appear. I don't know if y'all been watching the news lately. I don't know if you've been reading your Bibles lately. But Jesus is coming real soon. I mean, he's coming soon. When he shall appear, we may have confidence at his appearing. And not be, and notice the word he uses, ashamed. We're not being judged for sin. But when you stand before the one who gave his life for you, and you couldn't give a dollar to him? You couldn't give some time on the church's visitation program for him? You couldn't reach out to your neighbor for him? He died for them. You couldn't go tell them that he died? I mean, he died. You couldn't at least go tell them that he died for them? You couldn't support a little extra to get another missionary on the mission board at the church, amen, to reach another country with the God? I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, we're going to stand before Christ. And there are going to be some that day that are going to have great confidence. Paul, Paul said, man, I know I'm going to receive a crown of life. I mean, he's pretty confident about that. Amen. But there's going to be some that stand there ashamed because everything we did, we did under the influence of the old man, the power of the old nature, under the power of the old flesh. And there was not a practical resurrection Christian life in the believer. Everything we do in the power of our flesh is going to be wood hand stubble with a judgment seat and there's no reward. Gold, silver, precious stones. That's what we did in the power of the resurrected Christ. If Jesus came right now, heads about, eyes are closed. If Jesus came right now, I mean, I'm telling you, you can't prove he won't, I can't prove he will. But I believe it's about to happen if he's to come right now. Can I just ask you, are you confident sitting right where you are 
with your Christianity? Are you confident with your testimony? Are you confident that your neighbors have heard the gospel? Are you confident that you're giving the missions what God wants you to give? Are you confident? Or if he came right now and you found yourself standing before him at the judgment seat of Christ, would there be shame? Because I just didn't give my best because I didn't live a resurrected Christian life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're praying, pastor's coming. Lord, please take the message that we've preached on the practicality of the resurrection. And I pray you'd work it into us and through us and out of us. And may we walk out of this church, oh God, purposing in our heart, we're going to live the resurrection life in every aspect of our life, in our, in our witness, in our testimony, in our holiness, in our going, in our giving. Lord, that we are going to live that new resurrected Christian life for you. Oh God, I pray, bless this church as we move forward with that purpose of heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.